Nothing wrong with a little pep. Uh, I want to I thank you guys for sticking with this thing. The, the, sometimes these things kind of turn into, they kind of have a marathon flavor to them towards the end of the day. It's tough on you all, and it's kind of tough doing this. And it, it, Thanks for staying. Thanks for sticking with it. And we'll, we'll be as brief as we can. We may finish a little bit early tonight. We got, then we'll go eat some dinner, and we'll come back, and we'll do one more little session tonight. And then we got a speaker tonight, and that's a, it'll be all... Groovy. I saw a dance on there. Is there really a dance? Yeah. Be dang. <laughs> don't look at don't look at me. It ain't happening, man. I tell you like that. Just, you'll find out just how fast old Myers can get off this podium and be gone. It's just like <laughs> I made the mistake one time ten years ago of doing a talk and then just kind of hanging around while they danced. Oh my gosh! It's just like. Uh-uh, I don't dance at gunpoint. I'm not going to dance here either. Uh, isn't it weird, this, 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 this whole amends process? You ever, you ever watch how excited guys get around doing the steps and they get all this stuff and then they get right up to this amends deal and it's the, the part of this thing that really gets me is, is that it, um, we, once we get past this inventory, I think most sponsors are so beat up and bruised, they just sort of let go of these guys. It's like we've been punched in the nose and we just let go. And then and people tend to sort of flounder. They just, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of direction, although the book gives us, what, eight pages of instruction on how to do this inventory stuff. Um, it's interesting. Um, this, step six and seven, because it's in, in, in two paragraphs, we tend to trivialize this stuff a lot. Dr. Bob said it was the stuff that separated the men from the boys. And, and I, for a long time, I didn't understand that because I was one of these guys that sort of trivialized the whole deal, um, uh, th this part of it in particular. But it's interesting. Pick your, picture the situation. You just came through an inventory um, with a sponsor, and for perhaps the very first time in your existence, you saw some real hard truth about who you are and what you are. And all of the stories you've been selling yourself all these years are now clear. Uh, I got a life that's been based on a great deal of hypocrisy. I'm not who I think I was. I've played this sort of, uh, this sort of game with who I am. Do you ever notice, guys, that just as a little sidetrack right here, did you ever notice how many different people you are in a given day? I mean, really and truly, I don't know if this is just with drunks or if this is with people in general, but I know with drunks, it's the craziest thing. I'll be one particular way with my AA family. I'll be another way completely with my, with my wife. I'll be another way with my employees. I'll be another. It's no wonder we stay so goofy. We don't really know who we are. And, there's, and what is the real reality? Who is Myers really? Without getting too cosmic. But it's a great question to ask, you know, see? Because once you know who you are, then you can, you can deal with it. It's like you, can, you, can, you have to have some baseline to begin building what you're going to become as mental health flows back in and as you begin to get healthier from a mental health standpoint, it, it would be kind of cool to see what there is to work with. Some of you will be like me, you'll, you'll, you'll realize that you're really not just a big turd. I mean, because a lot of us have been sold this idea, but because we sell ourselves that idea. That's the, that's the story we sell ourselves in the middle of the night. I'm just a, I'm just a big jerk. I'm just a, I'm a bum. Nobody loves me. Nobody, I mean, and you know how it is. It's kind of cool. For the very first time, you, you step up from this, from this inventory, and, you know, you, you hug your sponsor, and you, you take the blankets off of you that you had on the... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just... 
God almighty. But the common thread is that runs through every one of us is that if we indeed did this like we were supposed to do this, that we did indeed see some real truth about who we really are. And in mainstream AA, when people finish their fifth steps, what do they always say? Oh, I'm so glad to get that over with. It's just been such a burden for so long. And that's all they talk about for weeks and weeks and weeks sitting in discussion meetings. That's all they talk about. I'm so glad to get it over. Listen, every one of us are glad to get it past us. We are. I understand that. Except that I always have to, I always worry a little bit. When somebody stands there and they're all smiling and little sunbeam for Jesus again and they're talking about being done with it, I'm going... You know what? That, that wasn't my experience. This last round of inventory stuff that I did, the one that I did with Cliff when I first got over to that primary purpose group, when I, when I was finished, I looked at Cliff and I just busted out crying. I was just, I was just, because all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, I'm not a victim of the booze. I'm a victim of my own deception. I'm a victim of my own selfishness and self-centeredness. And all of these things that I think that I wasn't, I am. And it was an ugly, ugly place to be. I mean, it was just sort of, and I'm going, what do I do? And he says, well, funny you should ask that, Myers. He said, that's what six and seven is about. That's what this process is about. Because now we've identified the character defects. We've identified the things that have been blocking you from God, that have been standing in the way of you and any usefulness to others. And this is the process that we're going to go through. And so they gave us two paragraphs, and I'm going to read it. We're going to bust it down just a little bit just so that we can see some detail in this deal. And, um, and, and just kind of listen up on this thing. I think that probably Bill Wilson and his guys, when they put this together, they hit this thing right out of the ballpark. I think this is one of the best pieces of literature I ever read in terms of getting us, because they knew all the angles. They knew all the stuff that was going to happen. Here's, here's what it says. We've emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? That's a question, and it demands an answer. Are we ready to let this stuff go? Maybe you are, and maybe you aren't. You see? Let me give you an example. Um, perhaps you went through the inventory. Perhaps you have a girlfriend that's still on the side, um, and you're not willing to let her go. That's a possibility, guys. It's a possibility. I want to walk a spiritual path, but I still have this other woman that I don't want to let go. This happens. Um, I, I see all this inventory stuff, and I've cleared up a, a bunch of this stuff, but I'm still uh, hammering the Internet porn every night, and I'm not ready to let it go. Dig? This happens. And then, it, then he says, can he, can he now take them all, every one? He is capital, capital H. Can he now take them all, every one? Question. Or am I going to hold something back? If we still cling to something, this is brilliance on these guys' parts. If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. Do I see that the pornography may be holding me back? Uh-huh. Absolutely. And so I could ask God to help me be willing to get rid of that. I'll give you an example of that in just a minute. When ready, we say something like this, My Creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. End of prayer. Have any of you guys ever, ever done any head scratching on why this stuff seems to work in AA, but we can't seem to get the same results in church? 
I'm not knocking church. Don't even go there. But I, it just, this was just something that I've, I've spent 20 years thinking about this thing right here. This idea of why this becomes so powerful in our life and why I could never reproduce this exact same thing in church. And I tried, guys, believe me, I tried for many, many years. Um, and I've come, to the, I've come to a conclusion, and it is an opinion. It is not in the literature. It's my opinion. I think it's because we took the time to make the list. It's the, we took the time to identify... In, in one scenario, I'm asking God, God, I just want you to make me a better man. And I sometimes wonder if God's not standing up there going, what, what does that mean, make you a better man? The, re, the, the, the flip side of that is what I've done this time is I've gone in and I'm saying, God, listen, as hairy as this whole thing is and as ugly as it gets, warts and all, this is who I am. And what I would really like you to do is, is take this stuff that stands between me and you. And it's pretty powerful stuff. It's pretty neat to look at it from that perspective on the deal. I'll give you a fast example of this deal. I had a, uh, in the day, in the olden days, um, I, I loved strip joints. I, I loved them. And, and I'd, I'd, I, had, I had cause to be in Dallas all the time. And I'd go to Dallas and I'd always make an excuse to go buy a strip joint. I know, I know. It just disappoints some of you. But... <laughs> But here's the deal. The, the, do what? My hero. Yeah. The, the, here, it, was, it was just a weird deal. I'm in the program. I'm going to meetings. I'm doing this other stuff at this old group that I go to. And, and even after I got over to Primary Purpose Group, I'd been there a year, and I've just got this little, this little thing working where I'll go to town, make some deliveries. I don't have to make deliveries. i got guys that work for me that could make the deliveries. But I go make the deliveries, so I'm in Dallas, and then i got an hour or two to kill, and so I'll just go sit there. I'm not drinking in these strip clubs. I'm just sitting there, right? So... I do this inventory and I recognize, I'm not, I'm not an idiot, I recognize the problem and I recognize that this stuff is standing four square between me and this loving God. I know I'm not going to make any progress with this thing, but when it got to that part where it asked, are you still, are you still clinging to something, I'm not going to lie to God. Listen, I can BS Clifford, I can BS my AA group, I can BS all these people, but it ain't BSing God. And I wasn't about to start it, and I wasn't going to say that. I just said, all right, I have this one thing that I'm not ready to give up yet, but I'm willing to give it up, I'm just not, I'm just not ready yet. And that was the stupid clubs. So... Within a week, I do this, 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 this six and seven, and I'm on into my process of this amends thing, and I go make this delivery in town. And true to form, I got an hour to kill, and I thought, I'll just stop by this club like this, and I'll walk in. And so I walk, I get out of the truck, I walk up to the door, and as I walk up to the door, I reach for the door, and I open this door, and as I walked in, scouts honor, guys, it felt like, it felt like every piece of me had drained out on the pavement outside that door. I felt as empty and as nervous as I could be. And I'm looking around, and I can't quite put a, I can't put a bead on it. I don't know really what it is. And so I stepped back out. I haven't closed the door yet. This is in, like, November, and these little girls in there are not real happy with me. I, I'm holding the door open, and I walk back out again. And as soon as I walk back out on that stoop of that club, I'm okay again. I feel just, just like I do right now. And I went, what the? And so I stepped back in the door again. And, and, it's, and, it, and it's gone again. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm as hung out and as separate from God as I possibly can be. And it was the creepiest feeling. Now, about this time, this girl goes, Hey, are you going to come in? Are you going to go out? But you got to do one. And I'm going, oh, okay, okay. And I just left. I just walked back out. 
And I walked back to my truck and I got back to the shop and it was all fine. And I thought, this is just, you know, it's like a, it's like a nightmare you shake off. And then a day later, you don't even remember what the nightmare, what was the big deal? It was just a, it was just a dream. Three or four days later, I'm back in Dallas again. Go do the exact same thing, different place. And I stepped out of my truck and I stepped into the parking lot and the same thing happened. I felt like God had just left me. And it was like, it was like God was going, okay, look, here it is. Um, here's the deal. I'll be with you here, but I ain't going in there with you. If you're in there, you're on your own. That's exactly what it felt like. And I went, hot oh, dang, okay. Now, the, the need to feel the connection with God was so much more important than my need to get in there and waste 15 bucks and an hour of my time. You understand what I'm saying? That I just said, that's it, I'm done. And I hadn't been in one since then. But it was real obvious that left on my own devices, I'm going to run the same games that I'm always going to run. I'm going to be doing the same crap that I always did. Given sufficient reason, separation from God is a pretty big reason if you're trying to walk a spiritual path. There it was. And it was an amazing thing. And I've seen this same kind of thing repeated over and over and over again. As long as we're truthful about what the deal is. As long as, the, as, long as we're not playing games here. Because this is no time to play games. It's the, most, it's the single most important time of my whole existence. Once I see, once I have spent this moment getting, getting everything clean in my life. And I'm standing full in the sunlight of the Spirit. I mean, folks, isn't that what we always wanted? From the beginning, isn't that what we always dream for? Do you think I wanted to be a little jerk in that, in that Sunday school class, judging everybody else in that room because I couldn't feel what they felt because I didn't want to be in that Sunday school class? Do you think I wanted to be separate from God? No, no. I wanted so desperately to be one of them, to fit, to connect. I wanted it. And I do this inventory, and for the very first time in my whole life, I began to see that there's a chance that I can stand full in the sunlight of the Spirit and be okay, and be okay. And it's just, uh, it's just one of those cool kind of deals. And I think that probably um, the, the guys that will commit to it and, and, and really look at it will find that there are, are character defects um, we seem to look at the big ones, selfishness and self-centeredness, fear, blah, 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 that we uncovered in the inventory. But sometimes when you don't have anything else to do, um, look at some of the other character defects that you could carry into the deal that you could ask God to remove from you. How about, how about arrogance? How about, how, how about pride? I got, a, oh, I got a great one for you. How about defiance? <laughs> defiance. You won't see it in yourself usually. You won't see it. Defiance is what tells you that you don't have to call your sponsor when you step on somebody in a tent step call. De defiance is, I don't have to do that. I don't have to. It's, it's kind of joined with entitlement. You see, I don't have to do that kind of stuff. Pride, you think, you think we, we look at pride and we go, well, I, I'm, I'm not prideful. Oh, really? The next time somebody cuts you off at the gas pump, how, let's see how you react. I'm reaching for a gun, and I'm trying to tell guys that I don't have any pride tied up in this thing. Sure I do. I feel entitled. That's my pump, by God. You see, it's just... These... Some of you guys don't believe that. It's just like, this is, this is the stuff that we're trying to look at, because this is the stuff that creeps back into our life that keeps us not okay, that keeps us just sort of mediocre. Um, 
and walk in a spiritual path where in those things, those character defects always seem to conflict with what's on the spiritual path for me. And that's the reason why sometimes you ever wonder why you get cold and stale in AA? Some of you guys have done that. I, I did. And, and I bet some of you have too. Where you just find that the meeting is not the meeting anymore and the, and the fellowship's not the fellowship anymore. And, the, and the, the, I mean, it's just like you're going through the motions of being there, but you're not getting anything back out of it. You don't feel like you... You just seem to be, instead of making forward progress down a spiritual path, you seem to be drifting sideways and you can't seem to figure out how to stop the, the slide sideways. And, and, and the, the first place to look to see what it is, what's going on, is go back and look at those truths around 6 and 7 and look at those character defects that may have crept back into this thing based on nothing. Sometimes it's based nothing more than just simply the time you've been sober. Sometimes the length of time between the inventory work I did and the other stuff that I did, even if you're doing 12-step work, even if you're doing some of this other stuff, there's still time that you need to reflect back and see if there's anything else that's come into this deal. See, um, I have to laugh when we were talking about this stuff, this eight and nine-step stuff a minute ago, uh, uh, and Chris was talking about there was indeed and still is uh, uh, a whole slew of guys out there from the podium that are telling people that you cannot work um, uh, 10, 11, and 12 until you've made all your amends. And, uh, and I, let, me, let me be here. I want to be the first to tell you uh, they're wrong, and, and, and I'll tell you why. It's not just an opinion. They're wrong because... I know from personal experience and the experience of hundreds of men that I've had the pleasure of working with that the juju necessary, the, the, just the, the courage to make these amends must come from some place. And if you think that one day you're just going to screw yourself up and just get the all courage all heading out there, I'll just go do this. It doesn't come like that. It comes from someplace else. And it usually comes from this process of doing 10, 11, and 12. Prayer and meditation active work with other drunks, and God miraculously... Let me ask you, in your own personal experiences, how many times have you said, I, I'll, I'll never make a, an amends to that SOB? Yeah. And then you get busy doing the stuff that we do in AA, and then one day you start looking at it, and you went, you know what? It's time. i got to go deal with this. And then you just go do it. Did you get braver? I don't think so. I don't think it had anything to do with bravery. I think it had to do with the fact that you walked a spiritual path, submitting to a process of recovery that the book clearly lays out, and the juju necessary to do it was there. And you just did it. All of a sudden, you guys understand that stuff. I'll tell you a quick story, and then I'll let Chris finish this up. No, I'm going to tell you one thing first real quick, and then, we'll, then we'll, I'll tell you this, this fast story. At the top of page... Can you imagine what it's like to be in my head? It is just, it just. <laughs> Peter Marinelli told me one time that I had a Grand Central Station head, and every time a train came in, I felt like I had to get on it. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> Do I make these amends because I want to feel better? Maybe on one level I do. I'd like to feel better. I'd like to get that thought out of my head that I need to make this amends. The real truth of this stuff and the crux of this thing, and this is in Sponsorship 101. You should have picked it up in your manual. If you didn't read it, here it is. At the top of page 77, and if you, I promise you, if you sponsor anybody, you'll go to this stuff more than just about anything that's out there. The top of page 77, into action. We might prejudice them at the moment we're trying to put our lives in order. But this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. 
It's one of those sideways kind of deals. If I, if, I deal, if I deal with this stuff and I make the necessary amends that I'm supposed to make, yes, I will feel relieved and yes, I will feel better because I've, I've dealt with the trash in my life. I've dealt with that kind of stuff. But the, mo the more important aspect of this thing is that I can fit myself to be of maximum service to God. God can use me. It's like, I can't, how, how could I be effective in sponsorship if I still owe half of the creation money and I've still got 20 amends of people that I've brutalized in and out of AA? You see? And we wonder why some of us are more effective than others. It's not because we're better in AA land or anything like this. It's because we've dealt, a lot of times, it's because we dealt with this amends process. This sort of thing. It's like, you ever, you ever sponsor a guy that, that wants desperately to be in a relationship? I mean, just, it's just every other call seems to be like, ah, I can't believe that God won't bring me this relationship. And I say, listen, Slick, let me ask you this question. Could it, could it be that perhaps we ought to revisit your inventory and revisit this, this amends process and let's look at the people that you still owe money to and the people that you still owe amends to? How about that ex-wife that you still owe all that money to for that child support? Why would God in his loving nature, bring one of his special kids into your life and connect you guys up with you owing your ex-wife all of this back pay on this, this, uh, this uh, child support. Why would he do that? Well, now that you put it like that, I guess he would... Come on, come on, let's get busy. Let's get busy. We all make these judgment calls that, that, that we can't do certain things. Listen, I sponsor a guy right now that... that, that um, I've sponsored for 13 or 14 years, and when I first started sponsoring him, he owed $236,000. $236,000. He is current on his amends. He paid every bit of it back except the last $18,000 that his employer just wrote off. Said, you don't owe me anymore. Took him 12 years to make the amends. He paid every dime that he made. He lived in a little chicken shit apartment, wore hand-me-down clothes. He had a great job selling software. And he, I'm telling you, the guy made big money, but he took every dime he could, he could scrape together to pay off this debt. Let me ask you this. How tall do you think this guy walks today? He carries a big old, big old stick in my word. And, and I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing to see what God does in his life. And it would be real easy for him to go, I'll never be able to do this. I'll never be able to do Listen, you're right. Left on your own devices, you'll be totally useless at making most of these men's. Invite God back in the picture. Get focused back on what you're supposed to be doing. And watch what happens when we submit to the process. It's the coolest thing in the world. We'll talk about it a bunch in the morning on this stuff. We take care of God's business in 12-step work, and he takes care of our other stuff. And that's how it works. It makes no, no sense intellectually, but there it is for sure. Let me tell you this real fast story. It is a fast story, but, it, but it's a perfect example of kind of what we're talking about on this stuff. I sponsored this kid named Jim, and Jim was the goofiest little guy you've ever seen in your whole life. Jim had terminal, when I say terminal acne, I mean he, he was completely ravaged. He had long, greasy hair. It was down to right about here. He'd been in jail for a bunch of B&E and goofy stuff, and, and he, he had uh, Aryan Brotherhood tattoos on both arms. I mean, he was a little hater, he, and, he, and he'd just tell you in a heartbeat, man, I hate, if you're one of them queers, I don't even want to be near you. I mean, this, I'm telling you, he, if you were different than Jim, he was all over it, man. And, and I'm thinking, thank you, God, for bringing this man into my life. And it's just like, 
the heck am I gonna do with Jim? And so we get in there, we work the work, he does his stuff, and we get, we get through his, 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 his inventory, and, and he starts changing. He's just one of these kind of guys that every time you see him, he's living in a halfway house with 90 guys, well, about half of them were black guys, and I'm thinking any day he's gonna kill one of them, and, and, and he, every day he's getting healthier, every day he's getting a little better, and, and I'm starting to relax around him, I'm not getting nearly as jumpy as I used to be, because used to be when he'd look at me, I'd jump, because he just, Jim has a bunch of stuff on his amends. I, I, I kind of helped him organize it. We got the money over to one side. We got this stuff. And we kind of, he, he starts making these amends, and he's getting infinitely better. But he's got this one. He's got a dad in Lubbock who he hates more than anything on God's green earth. He hates them more than black people, which puts it in perspective for Jim, okay? And he, this guy, when Jim was a kid, he used to beat Jim with, a, with one of those big old western belts that they wear in Texas. Even if you don't ride horses, you still wear one of those big buckles. And he used to beat Jim with this big buckle until he bled all over. And then he'd hold him in a, in a bath of salt water until the kid passed out. I mean, he was, he was, and there was some other stuff, and I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to, just suffice to say, his dad was royal SOB. And, and Jim was, um, I said, Jim, you're just making this stuff up. And before I even got it out of my deal like this, Jim starts taking his shirt off, and Jim shows me his back and shows me his chest. And I'm telling you, it looked like somebody taking an ice pick and just going ching, 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 all over him. There must have been 600 little bitty places where he'd been cut all over him. He's mutilated. And I, I just went, oh, this is great. So Jim, Jim's got this thing on his, on his inventory, and I think, I just don't know what we're going to do. Jim says, he calls me one night real late, and he says, look, I get out of, of, of Homer Bound uh, in a week, um, and I gotta go. I gotta go, do this with my dad. And I said, Oh, okay. And I just, I've gotten to love this kid, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to tell him really. I just said, I just said, Look, you, you do the best you can here. Um, uh, I want you to do me a big old favor. I want you to call me when you get to Lubbock, and and we'll talk about this thing before you, because I don't want you, I don't want you. In, the, in a car to Lubbock is a five-hour drive, and it's just one straight long road. Literally, you could just let go of the steering wheel, and you'll drive 300, 400 miles, whatever it is out there. But, and I'm thinking, you have all this time to sit there in that car by yourself revisiting all of this stuff. You may be spiritually fit to do this right now, but my problem is he's so far away, I worry about you revisiting all this stuff. And he says, no, I won't do it. I promise you, I'll, I'll call you. So I'm going to give him this little pep talk. Well, he, he, I know when he's going to do the thing, and he doesn't call me. And he doesn't call me. And he doesn't call me. And I'm, thought, I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. Do I send the law? Do I, I, I'm freaked out like a big dog. And he gets over there, and um, he goes ahead and makes the amends, and he calls me after the amends. And I said, all right, tell me what happened. And he said, Myers, you were absolutely right. He said, uh, I went out there ready to make the amends, and by the time I got there, I hated him again so badly that I couldn't stand it. And I was going to kill him. And I said, how? <laughs> and, and he said, I've got a, I've got a pistol here in my, in my pocket. And I said, you know, that's a parole violation for you. And he said, I know, but it doesn't matter. I was willing to go back to jail just to kill him. And I said, ah. And I've never hated anybody that bad. I've got to be honest with you. I've never hated any bad, anybody so badly that I was willing to kill them and go back to jail. And so I, um, 
I said, so, what, so tell me what happened. And he said, I stood in the front yard of this home that I grew up in for 20 minutes. I stood there, and I stood there, and I stood there, and I finally did the only thing I could think of to do, and I says, I just prayed. And I asked God to, to please show me what it is that I could do to get through this deal. And about that time, I decided I couldn't do it, and I turned around, and I started walking back to my car, and this old man, who was all humpled over like this, came walking out the front door. And he said, I couldn't believe my eyes. He hadn't seen his dad in years. And he said, I couldn't believe how old he got. And I couldn't believe, I just, he just, I, in my mind's eye, I had this guy built up as this big, strong guy that used to whack me around and all this kind of stuff. And what I saw was just this old guy. And I just simply just dissolved. I just melted. I just, it wasn't, I'm not going to lie to you, Myers. He said, I'm, I, I don't think that he's going to be on my Christmas card list. And I don't think we're going to get all warm and fuzzy about this kind of stuff. But you know what? I don't hate him. I don't hate him. He's just a goofy old man who did, as, I guess, as good as he could with what he had at the time. And, um, and that was it. And we talked for about 30 minutes, and we talked over some stuff. And, and I, the more I talked, the more I realized that I'd treated him badly, and I'd lied to him, and I stole his car a couple of times, and I did some other stuff. And I was able to just simply say that I was sorry for all the stuff that I did. And I asked him if there was anything else that I could do to make the amends. And he said, you know what, you could maybe come see me again. Uh, uh, it sure would be nice to see you. And he just left. And it's a great story for me. Two nights later, at Homeward Bound, Jim's getting ready to coin out. And we're all in this big old circle. And we're sitting there doing this, 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 this Lord's Prayer at the end of the thing, and there's 70 or 80 guys in this room, and Jim's in the middle of it, and um, there's a black guy holding this hand and another black guy holding this hand for Jim, and they're doing the Lord's Prayer, and I looked up, and there's this absolutely crystalline moment when I'm watching Jim's face, and I'm watching these men on each side of him, and they're all crying. They're all crying. And Jim is sitting there just caving in on himself emotionally. And these men love that little skinny guy. And Jim loved them. And there's not one piece of hate left in him. There's not one piece of bigotry left in him. Left on Jim's own devices, could Jim fix this? I don't think so, guys. I don't think so. I think the only thing that Jim could do is do what we asked him to do, which would sub was submit to a process of recovery that is outlined in this big book. And that's what he did. And as a result, he walked free and clear of the bigotry and the hatred that could have killed him. Too cool stuff, man. Thanks. Wow. That... Um Ultimately, it's what we're talking about, is right what Myers just said. We said it in this last little section. You know, this, uh, I've spent most of my life worried about justice, you know, justice. And uh, I want what's right. And the truth is, this is all about mercy. And that's where we, that's where we get this. And the book talks about over and over and over again about being free. How free do you want to be? It talks this freedom. And if you're carrying all this baggage around, if you'll do this process and, and, and get it and get it, Let's get, get it done. You're going to come out the other side changed person. 
uh, every single one of us in here have got stuff in here that we're digging our feet into, you know, this and that. And we're trying to rationalize and justify why it's okay for us to feel that way. But the truth is, is that's the stuff that blocks us from the sunlight of the Spirit and my effectiveness with others. And uh, uh, I, part of my, uh, when I, my journey when I got here, you know, I had a sponsor that, that, that paid attention to this information and didn't turn me loose. What Meyer said was so telling there. We, we watch more people uh, drop through the cracks after a fourth and fifth step and between the amends process than any other spot. You with it? Once you get them here, and it's like everybody's this relieved, we've done a fifth step, and then now we've, now we've got... But our job there is that, is that that next day we sat down with a sponsor and sat down with a notebook, and he said, me write down, and we're going to get through all of these amends. How many amends do you actually own? I mean, in my head, I says, I owe everybody. Well, that's just horse. I don't owe everybody. I, I owe almost everybody. <laughs> But, but what this is about is about making a list. I mean, some of you guys sitting in here saying, you know, I'm, I'm in debt, I owe all this money, but you don't know how much you owe. Some of you do, but most of you don't. You can go into any AA group out there. Most of the guys that I end up getting sponsees from somebody else, and, they, and we start to sponsor. When I first sit down, we start looking at these amends. Where are you at with your amends financially? We look at your credit report. We find out exactly. Because you've got it built up in your head where you're at with this, and the truth is you don't know, and it's the fear that stops you. you with us? Everybody's got this preconceived idea of how that amend's going to go. She'll never hear this amend. Did you ask her? No. Then shut up. How, how do you know? It's like, she'll never go out with me. Did you ask? No. Shut up. <laughs> you, you, you got it in your head how this is all going to come down the pike before you even start. It's, it's scary. Yeah. But this fact-finding stuff, that's part of our job as sponsors, is to sit down with you, going to go over this financial stuff. We're going to look at these amends. Which ones can we do now? Which ones can we, do we need to put off a little bit? Everybody on these amends, they want to go out with a big old checkbook. I'm going to write you a $300. Here you go. I owe you $300. I owe you $3,000. I'm going to, I've got to pay. That's not what the book says. The book says we make our best deal. We make our first approach, you know? We make our best deal. It means I've got to call this credit card company and find out, listen, on the outside chance that I was going to pay you this money back. <laughs> Hypothetically. How much would I have to pay you back? I mean, you could do it any way you want, especially if you're a girl. If you cry, I'm telling you, it's the, it's, it's the bomb. It'll work for you. I don't know. Work it, girl. Whatever. If you're a guy, it'll work too. Just, I don't know. Work your best deal, and then you make your amend, make your approach. And they may say, say, can I pay you $10 a month until I get the damn thing paid off? They say, no, we'd rather have it all. I know, and I'd rather be, but I, I'm not. So would you take... $10 a month until it's paid off. Absolutely. And then what you do is you go without coffee, you go without food, you go with whatever you've got to do to make sure that you make that amend. If you make the deal, you've got to come through with it. Y'all follow? Don't make somebody a bunch of promises that you can't make because then you're just going to have to go do this again. And the only thing worse than making amends once is making amends twice. <laughs> and it tastes like crap the second time, trust me. <laughs> They were amused the first time, they're just pissed off the second time. Don't be doing that. And that's part of our job as sponsees and sponsors is just to guard these guys and help them organize these lists. And what you get to see is that you get to see that it's not nearly as bad as you think it's going to be. And then you start whittling this stuff off. Anything out there that's standing in the way of my usefulness to you and, 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 and my, my brothers and God being of service, I need to make sure that I get that taken care of international it was in toronto you know a few years back and i remember we had buddies all over the united states that couldn't go to canada why because they hadn't cleaned up the wreckage of their past 
They had, they, had, they had records that they could have taken care of, but they said, well, shit, I'm, I'm going to stay in the country. I ain't going to go anywhere. But all of a sudden, God wanted them to go to Toronto, but they couldn't go to Toronto because they hadn't cleaned up the wreckage of their past. I'm going to say it a hundred times this weekend. How free do you want to be? Do you just want to be not drinking one stupid day at a time? Is that free enough for you? You can have that. Or you can finish doing this work and see what the miracle is of having all of this stuff taken care of. I had to make amends to my first wife, and um, uh, I tried to make amends right after I got sober, and she would have nothing to do with it. You'll follow? I'm not ready. You can't force these amends on somebody. If they're not ready to hear them, you can't. Periodically, I would try to contact this woman. She left the town. This was before internet stuff, and she left, and she, I, I was assuming that she was in Houston back where, where we had first met. And uh, uh, My sponsor and I was talking at a conference in Houston one last time. This was 13 years sober downstream and I hadn't talked to her in 13 years and um, I said I'm gonna try this one more time and I called the same number I've been trying to call at her brother's house so I could get a good number and the phone rang and her brother picked up he said he said what do you want you'll follow he's not a happy camper and um, I said buddy don't hang up let me ask you the one question and I'll leave you alone I promise this is it but I gotta I'm gonna try to make amends to this woman and I know that I I wronged her and I need to try to make this amends and she said he said okay listen I'm this is all I'm gonna do for you and then don't call back I said I appreciate what you're trying to accomplish I'm gonna call her I'm gonna find out I'm gonna give her the number where you're at if she calls you she wants to talk if she doesn't go away <laughs> I can do that y'all follow we, Mark and I, we went and did the talk at, at this little little deal, and we came back to the hotel. We said, Motel 6, nothing but the best for Chris Raymer. I came back to the little Motel 6, and I walked in the door, you know, and the little light's flashing by the bed. Oh, shit. And I picked it up, and I caught, got a message. Her number called. She was at the bar with the girls having a, you know, blah, blah, blah. She was having a good a drink. She said, buddy, I tell you, if you'd have called next week, or the week before, I wouldn't have taken this call. But right now, buddy, can you meet me tomorrow night? I couldn't because I was supposed to leave town. And I said, yes, I can. You'll follow? And I had to cancel some plans, and I did what I needed to do, and we went to dinner. Long and short, we went to dinner at this place, and, and it was uncomfortable as hell. And I finally said, I need to do this. And she said, I know. I've been in al on for 13 years. I know exactly what you need to do. <laughs> The word, the word sphincter comes to mind, you know. I said, okay, okay. Well, I'd had this card that I'd had in my, in my glove compartment for 13 years in my truck. And I had this card and it had all the things listed. We don't go willy-nilly to make amends. I don't want to go up to somebody and make amends to you and say, I'm sorry. Everybody thinks that that's making amends. That's not making amends. They know we're sorry. What did you do to cause the harm? Where, where were you wrong? They want to they know. Try to set this thing straight. So it wasn't a question. I had the things listed out that I had done to this woman that I believed that I owed her amends for. And I shared that with her. You with us? And I can't tell it without crying. And she thanked me for that amend. I, just, I shared it and I was doing just what I'm doing now because I, I'm 13 years sober and I know how to treat a woman today and I know what, what's respectful and what's not respectful and the things that I put her through. And, I, and I, I said, what can I do to make this right? She said, Chris, I appreciate it, buddy. And she had tears in her eyes and the waitress kept coming over and finally the waitress said, I'm not coming back over here, you know? 
we both at the same time look said, thank you. Leave us be. She said, Chris, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I got to tell you, buddy, you just need to hear this. You don't have a clue what you did to me. See, I can see the superficial stuff. I can see the, the money, and I can see the, 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 the... And she told me, and she explained to me how I robbed her of all of her security and took her away from her friends and the things that I did. Not... And I paid for the dinner, and we went back over to her house, and she gave me some stuff that she'd been holding of mine, and I gave her some stuff that I'd been holding of hers, and we got clear. And we don't have Christmas dinner together, and we don't call each other, and we're done. But we're done. And I, if I broke down in Houston tonight, I guarantee you she would come pick me up because I cleaned up the wreckage of my past. It was uncomfortable, yeah. It's just stuff that we have to do. This idea that just staying sober is enough is ludicrous. That's not what this is about. And this makes us more effective to all the, How many people did I make amends to that didn't even want to talk to me when I tried to make amends? And two years later, they call me back and said, are you still sober? Mm-hmm. I've got this son. No kidding. What can I do? You'll follow? Then you, get, you place yourself in a position to help others. And that's what that's about. What we talked about earlier. It's all about mercy. You know how funny it is? If you read the other big book, it talks about, man, you, you, you want to get things straight, clean up your crap with the people here on this earth. Isn't it funny? We go to prayer and meditation every morning. We're asking God, oh God, please, please protect me. Please help my family. Please help me. But that guy down there at the 7-Eleven, I'm going I'm to hate him till the day I die. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's not what the book's talking about, and I guarantee that's not what the Bible talks about. It talks about going clean up your mess with them first, and then come back to me. And you think it won't make a difference? Buddy, it will. It'll make a difference in your health. It'll make a difference in your, in your financial world. Just exactly what Myers said. You start taking care of your money, the miracle starts to take place. You start getting more money. That's the way it works. Uh, if any of you guys ever, there's thousands of stories along those lines about these amends processes. If any of you guys have got some specific questions, y'all, we, can, we can visit about that. We can go to dinner tonight. We're going to talk about uh, 10 and 11, especially 10 and 11, uh, about this prayer and meditation and this inventory business. Cool? Questions on, on, on amends? Any, y'all got any? But sore, aren't you? What you got, brother? Um, when, um, when making amends, I uh, was shown some of these principles in here, and this one sort of has to do with uh, uh, infidelity, and even though that wasn't the, uh, the amends that I was making, I was told that some of these principles can, can be applied to uh, all different types of amends, but it, it'll say here, we are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. Um, and then I repeated, and then she says, well, was that God's will? Anything I do to hurt somebody else is not God's will. On any given, I mean, I am capable of making some stupid mistakes. Like I said, nobody's in this room is perfect. We're not ever going to be perfect. We're going to continue to make mistakes. But what we're going to try to do is try not to do that. In the amends process, we're going to try to clean up the wreckage as best we can without involving a whole bunch of other people that don't need to be involved. Make sense? The principles of, of around that, of kindness and consideration to other people's feelings, and you get you you just going to have to continue to do what you got to do. 
to make it right. Sometimes we got this idea that we can make amends sometimes like that, and sometimes these amends take time to make, and you're gonna have to, it's gonna be a period of time to build up trust. You'll follow. It's like, I'd like to make that amend financially and pay it all now. It may take me three years to make those financial amends. It's the same thing with family. We expect them to just jump back up and forgive and forget. They're not going to do that. Not, they're just not going to do that. We're going to have to show them over a period of time that we mean what we say and say what we mean. And we're not going to be able to do that without God's help. And that's where this prayer and meditation comes in so much. Did that answer your question? Yes, thank you. Maybe. Do either of you have a suggestion Wow. And um, I sort of approach it that I try to be the best person I can be in my current relationships. And by that way, I'm making amends to any unfinished business I have with my parents. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's really out of mm -hmm. Did you hear the question? making amends to people that have passed away. In subsequent AA literature, there's a lot of literature written about the, the amends process, and this idea of writing letters, for me, was the only thing that worked. I had a chance for my father, uh, uh, who was sober the last few years, he was in a nursing home, he couldn't drink, but we were there real thick as thieves in five years, three years, he, he passed away. And, and, but I got a chance, and I know Myers did too, got a chance to sit with him and spend some time. We cleaned up a lot of wreckage, the stuff that needed to be done. But years later, as, as I matured and grew, I remembered other things and things. There was so much I wish I had said. I, I, I said some stuff, but there was so much more that I wish I could have done. Pops was an alcoholic, and, and yes, but, but he was the kindest man, and he taught me a lot of things. And there was a lot of things I I didn't get a chance to talk to him about and what I did with sponsors guidance is I sat down and very very diligently I mean I wrote this letter to him and I went to a place that that we always used to go and, and uh, set and uh, and he heard that letter there's no question about it we got things I don't know why I'm so emotional about that but you know that's the, it's it's stuff that's still there that needs to be done you know, I believe that I believe that people that have passed on hear us and and see us and watch us. And I mean, that's just personal belief. And I believe if you've got something to say, say it. Well, it's too late now. It's never too late. It's never too late. That's the stuff that blocks us from the sunlight of the spirit. Write letters. Go burn it someplace close. Read it out loud, and uh, try not to cry in public like I'm just doing right now because it's really, <laughs> that's really stupid. Any other things? Y'all, you got one more? Hey, Tom. Uh, so what if you make the attempt um, to make the amends and they don't, and you, you let them know exactly what you're trying to do um, and they don't really give you a firm yes or no, but kind of like a real general, uh, you know, um, do you suggest any like kind of follow-up or is it like maybe once a year you check in with them and see if you can do it or you just let the... Did y'all hear the question? Great. You can't force this on anybody. I'll give you a real quick story, quick, the operative word. My brother-in-law, uh, I, I stole a, uh, he gave me a bow to sell. He was a hunter, gave me a bow to sell, and I sold it and bought dope with it. And uh, I was supposed to give him the money. You know, he, did, he wasn't really clear about what I was supposed to do with that money. <laughs> anyway, when I got sober, I knew and I remembered that I'd, I had taken this, this money for this bow, and I told him. And he said, ah, oh, Chris, don't worry about it. The fact that you're sober is enough for us. You follow it? I'm like, shit, that's great. Phew, how cool. Rock on. Next. You know, you go to the next, okay? But every time I'm around this guy, he treats me different than he treats Myers. 
you with us? He'd be out smoking a butt out there and I'll walk out there and he'll finish smoking up and come on back inside. And it's like, we, they've got to relate and I'm a little separate. So uh, when, um, and it's driving me crazy. And, I, and I, I finally, I talked to the guy about it. I said, buddy, I sense that there's something still. And he said, ah, nothing. There's nothing wrong. And then he, he hung up the phone and two hours later he called me back and he said, Chris, I just need to tell you this. Let's get honest about this. The fact that you took that money was not a big deal is that you didn't tell me about it for about six years and all the sideways stuff. And I just need to tell you, it, mean to, it, it meant a lot to me that, that this, this came down the way it did. He was pissed and he's finally getting honest about it. And I said, well, I, I sense that. Um, let me try to make it right to you. Anyway, Fast forward a few more months, and I'm getting married again. And I go to Bass Pro Shop, and this is—I mean, I'm making—I've got a job down. I'm making some money, and I go to Bass Pro Shop, and I get a gift certificate for two hundred dollars. He's a big hunter, fisherman, and I get that. And I went to this wedding, and Patty and I got married, and it was a cool thing. And he's out in the front porch smoking a butt, and I walked out, and I says, "Buddy, can I talk to you for a few minutes?" And I handed him this envelope, and I says, "I stopped, and I got you this little deal because I knew you wouldn't take the money if I gave it to you, and I sure hope that you go buy something. I'm sure sorry that I took that." money when I shouldn't have taken it you with me he took out another cigarette and smoked it and we sat there on that porch and talked and we've been thick as thieves ever since we just went fishing this summer we made it right sometimes you just know that the amend is not made you follow they say it's okay you don't owe me anything honey but you know it's not right listen to your internal condition listen to what's going on inside because you'll know what to do You'll take it care of it. And nine times out of ten, guys, it's not about spending a bunch of money. You can make it right. It's just going to take you some effort to do. Y'all cool? Let's go to dinner. We'll see you later. Yeah.